Today, we begin a new sermon series that will take us through the Advent season and to the end of the year. And the title of this series is The Advent of I Am, which will examine the seven I Am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of St. John. Depending upon your church background and your upbringing, you may be wondering, what is Advent? I've heard of it, but never really interacted with it. Well, the word Advent has three uses. The first, the, the simple definition of the word, means the coming or arrival of something or someone that is important or worthy of note. So, for example, we can speak of the advent of a king or the advent of a special piece of legislation. Second, there is a liturgical use of the word advent, which refers to the sacred period preceding Christmas, observed by many Christians as a season of prayer, fasting, and penitence. The official church holiday of Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And so this year, that date is November 27th. And you will notice a change in our liturgy on that Sunday as we include the lighting of Advent candles. The third use is a theological reference which represents the coming of Jesus in the Incarnation. So when pastors and theologians speak of the Advent, we are talking about the incarnation of Jesus, the co-eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son, taking on human flesh and becoming the God-man. And throughout this sermon series, all three uses of the word will be in play. For example, here at All Saints Church, we observe Advent... And we consider this time in the church calendar to be of great significance in the formation of our collective and personal faith. Also, the sermon series for this Advent season will focus on the seven I Am statements of Jesus in light of his coming into the world through the incarnation. And I tried to represent the idea in the title, the advent of I am. In other words, the coming or the arrival of I am. So if you are new to Advent, I hope that that definition is helpful in explaining to you Advent. With that, the seven I am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John are as follows. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And my goal for this sermon series is twofold. First, some of you would admit that you are needy. In fact, you might say that you are desperate for God to be active in your life. You look at the current political leaders in the nation and say, God, help us as a country. Help the state of Pennsylvania. 
You have a sense of hopelessness that apart from God's intervention, we will never have leaders who honor God and his word. For others, the desperation for God to move in your life is the result of a medical diagnosis, either yours or someone you love. Perhaps death feels present and weighty. Some of you would admit that you are longing for God to act in your life because of how dark your days have become. Your marriage is broken. Your spouse is estranged. Perhaps your darkness is the result of addiction. You feel enslaved to sin. Maybe your darkness is emotional. You have doubt, despair, anxiety, and fear. Or maybe you're just lonely. And so my first goal in preaching this sermon series is to proclaim that God is in fact active and at work in your life even though you might feel desperate. And as I preach, I want you to see that a just and righteous king who rules with a rod of iron has taken his seat on God's holy hill. I want you to understand and believe that eternal life has arrived in the advent of Jesus Christ. I want you to know and experience that the creator of light has pierced the darkness and the darkness will not overcome him. In this sermon series, I want you to know that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of your soul, has come in the flesh. My second goal in preaching this series is to address anyone who might be a skeptic of Christianity. Perhaps you are here this morning because your parents made you come. Maybe you're attending because your spouse invited you. Possibly you are here today simply as a visitor. You are curious about Christianity and just checking things out. If that's the case, let me just say that I am glad you are here. If you are cynical about religion and faith, I am grateful that you are willing to be here today, regardless of the motivating factor that brought you through the door. Also, I want to invite you to come back and listen to all of these sermons in this sermon series because as I preach the 7 a.m. statements of Jesus, I want you as a skeptic to interact with Jesus' own words concerning himself. So those are my two goals for this sermon series. I am preaching to those of you who are desperate and needy for Jesus And I am preaching to those of you who believe that you don't need Jesus. With that, this morning's text is found in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. And I will give special attention to verse 58 today. But in doing so, I want to establish two things on the onset of this new sermon series that I hope will serve the rest of the sermons that I preach. And so the first thing I want to establish this morning is this. I want to communicate the significance of the phrase, I am, in biblical literature. And then number two, I want to stress the importance of letting Jesus speak for himself. 
So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. I'm going to read the text and then pray a prayer of illumination. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced, that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the significance and importance of Jesus' words here in John chapter 8. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to rightly understand them and then live life in light of them. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. Let's look at verses 56 and 58 and consider the significance of the phrase, I am. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. In the famous passage of scripture that comes from the illustrious scene of the burning bush, recorded in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself to Moses as I am. God reveals that he himself is the holy, eternal, self-existent one. In him is life, knowledge, and power. And this is illustrated by the bush that is on fire, but is never consumed by the flames. Listen to these words from Exodus. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, 
I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This scene from the burning bush gives us a clear and certain self-revelation from God. He displays his eternal self-existent nature and then emphatically states his name. I am. Now, you might be asking, what does this have to do with the text in John chapter 8? Well, you may have noticed that Jesus refers to himself as I am at the end of verse 58. And this phrase, I am, in John chapter 8, is one of distinctive grammatical structure. Actually, all seven I am statements of Jesus that we will be considering in the weeks to come begin with the same unique linguistic construction. The New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament written in Hebrew. In the Greek, there are two ways to write and say, I am. So the first way is ego. The second is a me. And we don't see the two words used together in Greek grammar. Either it's ego is utilized or a me is applied, but we don't see them put together. So, for example, in John chapter 1, verse 23, John the Baptist is recorded as saying, I am not the Christ. And the word that is translated as I am in the Greek is the word ego. And it's all by itself. It stands alone from a me. And this is normal Greek grammar. However, here in John chapter 8, and again, with all seven of Jesus' I am statements, the unique grammatical construction of ego, a me, is used. And other than being unique, you might ask, what is the significance of this grammatical construct? What's so special about ego, a me, used together? Well, as I already said, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but 200 years before the incarnation of Jesus Christ, a special literary work was completed, which is known as the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, translated into Greek. And like I said, this work was completed 200 years before the incarnation, which means when Jesus was walking on the earth, a Greek translation of Exodus chapter 3 was in circulation. And if you look at the account of Exodus 3 in the Septuagint, you will see this unique grammatical construction. When God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am, the phrase is translated, ego, me." And what I want you to understand is this. Here in John chapter 8, and in all seven of the I am statements, Jesus is identifying as God. The I am. The eternally self-existent one. 
And for this reason, historic Christianity has confessed that Jesus is one with the Father. In fact, historic Christianity has confessed for thousands of years that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are a holy, triune Godhead, eternally existent, all-knowing, and all-powerful, sharing the same essence, yet distinct in person. And as we move forward in this sermon series and prepare our hearts for the Advent season, it is important that you and I realize that God has come to us. He has come to us as the bread of life, as the light of the world, as the gate, as the good shepherd, as the resurrection and the life, as the way, the truth, and the life, and as the true vine. In our desperation for God to be at work in our lives, in our frustration with the political leaders, with the fear of loved ones dying, in the midst of the darkness that we are living in, it is important that you and I understand and believe that Jesus is the perfect and sufficient provision for our neediness. And over the next few weeks, I pray that you will see and realize this point in the advent, the coming of I am. So that is the significance of the phrase, I am. Draw your attention to verse 59 and consider the importance of letting Jesus speak for himself. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We live in a day and age in which the existence of Jesus is widely accepted by even agnostic and atheist scholars and academics. For example, listen to the following three respected scholars who are not Christians. Listen to them talk about the existence of Jesus. So in a 2011 review of the state of modern scholarship, Bart Ehrman, a secular agnostic, wrote this, Jesus certainly existed. As virtually every component or excuse me, every competent scholar of antiquity, Christian or non-Christian, agrees. So that's Ehrman emphatically saying, Jesus exists, and every scholar, competent scholar of antiquity, Christian or not, agrees with that statement. Listen to Robert Price, an atheist. He agrees that the claim Jesus didn't exist runs against the majority of modern scholarship. Listen to Michael Grant, a classicist. He states this, In recent years, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historicity of Jesus, or at any rate, very few. And they have not succeeded in disposing of the much stronger, indeed, very abundant evidence to the contrary. So Michael Grant says, In modern scholarship, it is a small minority of unsuccessful people who would postulate That Jesus did not exist. And so, as these modern scholars have said, the days of denying the historical Jesus are no longer. In fact, there has been such a shift that scholars are no no longer asking, does or did Jesus exist? 
Instead, based upon the overwhelming evidence provided from the disciplines of archaeology, from history, from linguistics, and even philosophy and theology, academics are now asking who is or who was Jesus. And because the majority of modern scholarship is talking about the historical Jesus in this positive posture, as opposed to denying his existence, all of us in this room approach Jesus and Christianity with opinions about Jesus. Each one of us has a preconceived idea of who Jesus is. So, for example, as we came into the sanctuary this morning, some of us would say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. Others might be satisfied to say that he was the most influential person that has ever lived. And others would say that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh. Now, think about this scenario for a moment. How many of you would like to walk into a room full of strangers and know that everyone in the room has a preconceived idea about you? Some people in the room are assuming things about you. Others are projecting their own experiences on you. That in itself would be uncomfortable. But what if the people in the room started making open claims about you? Based upon their preconceived ideas. Based upon their assumptions. You would probably want to address the people in the room and say something like, Hey, before you go on making public statements about me, why don't you first get to know me? Instead of starting with your assumptions, why don't you start by listening to me? Listen to my story, my upbringing, my experiences. Listen to the statements and claims I make about myself. Then, after getting to know me, or at least hearing directly from me, you can draw your own conclusions. See, when it comes to Jesus, many of us act like those strangers. We have preconceived ideas about him based upon our assumptions and then we make public claims or statements without ever hearing or listening to Jesus himself. So for example, you may have heard people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, Jesus' audience here in John chapter 8 would disagree. They believe that he claimed to be God and that is why in verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. And we are given greater insight into this matter in chapter 10, in verses 31 through 33. St. John, an eyewitness, records the following. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Not only did Jesus' audience understand that he claimed to be God, but Jesus never denied the charges of declaring to be God. And the easiest way for Jesus to avoid being stoned would have been to say, Hey, ho, whoa, whoa, wait up, wait up. You guys are misinterpreting what I am saying. 
I'm not claiming to be God. You're projecting a caricature on me and misrepresenting me. But that never happened. Jesus never denied the charge of claiming to be God. So if you wrongly have believed that Jesus never claimed to be God, you have fallen into intellectual dishonesty. Because by his own words, Jesus claimed to be God. His audience understood that he claimed to be God. And Jesus never denied the accusation of claiming to be God. Therefore, you need to ask yourself this question. If I am mistaken on this point, what other points might I be thinking dishonestly about? Or ask yourself this question, in what ways have my presuppositions about Jesus led me into intellectual error? This is why it is so important to take Jesus at his own words. And that is why I am inviting you, if you are a skeptic, to consider Jesus' words about himself in this sermon series. In a culture that prioritizes self-identification, I find it amusing that so many people want the right to self-identify, but they don't care what Jesus had to say about himself. And so again, for those of you who are skeptical of Christianity, I pray that you would wrestle with Jesus' claims concerning himself. I think that you should grapple with the fact that Jesus said he is ego a me, the eternal self-existent one. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, All Saints Church, my hope for you this Advent season is that you would know and experience the coming of I Am. In the midst of your desperation and neediness. My prayer is that you would look to Christ, the shepherd king, when you are frustrated with our political leaders. My wish is that you will trust the bread of life as you feel the finitude of your loved ones and wrestle with your own fleeting humanity. My desire is that your darkness would be pierced by the light of the world this Advent season. Friends and neighbors, if you are skeptical of Christianity or cynical of religion, I hope that in this Advent season, you will sincerely be curious and ask the question, who is Jesus? Then I pray that you would set aside your presuppositions and take the time to consider the words of Jesus himself and let Jesus speak. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.